Hello health champions, welcome back to another episode of The Taboo Doctor, previously known as A Slice of Health. This is the health podcast where no subject is off the table and we answer all the taboo health questions that you've always been afraid to ask. Join me and my friends from all over the world as we demystify healthcare and wellness. It is our aim to turn you into a health champion wherever you go as you slice health fact away from health fiction. Make sure you tell a friend or two to join the revolution. Follow us on social media and also watch the recordings of all our episodes on our YouTube channel, Taboo Doctor. Don't forget that this episode in no way replaces advice from your own healthcare worker or physician. Please be reminded that all the views shared on the podcast reflects the personal and professional views of our guests. I hope you enjoyed the episode. See you on the other side. Health champions, welcome back to another episode. And it is one of the episodes in our Let's Talk About Sexuality series. And today we have Tamara of the Yellow Wall. Welcome, Tamara. Thank you so, so much for joining us on today's episode. So I've wanted to reach out to you forever since I started the podcast. And then once I decided to go ahead with the video series and talk about sexuality, I was like, yes, I'm going to ask her to come. And she's graciously joined us today. So tell us a lot about yourself, Tamara, before we jump into the episode. Where do you want me to start? When I was born back in... (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm a writer by trade, as they say. I, I'm also a frequent enjoyer of sexual activities, <laughs> as they also say. Right, I present, I do one or two things in media. That's, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I mean, you make a lot of trouble on the yellow wall by very clearly articulating because i mean it's one of the best satire shows that we have currently in sort of the african in the african space really that speaks to oh thank you no seriously because i do like try to keep an eye on these things and speaks to young people and speaks about the way we actually see what is going on in the African space, in the diaspora, in Nigerian politics, including the things that you say you cannot say about politics, but it slips out. How did you get into, tell us about how you got into that, because I I just, I absolutely love it. I mean, Yellow Wall in itself is really interesting because originally I was called on as a writer. They just had this idea for a show, which is why it's called The Yellow Wall. Imagine me naming it. I never approved that name. But <laughs> I came on and they were like, we have a show called The Yellow Wall. We wanted to, you know, talk about pop culture stuff, relevant issues, blah, blah, blah. So I came in and we had the first meeting. And I don't even think the meeting had started. I think I was just gisting with the creator of Tokyo James. He works at Accelerate. So I was just gisting with him and some other guy. And they were both like, why don't you do it? Why don't you host it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> yes. I was like, all right. That's that, that is amazing. And so you both write and post it as well. And what in terms of people who are looking to do what you do, because obviously a lot of young people now are exploring a lot more um career options in terms mm-hmm. of sort of Africa, other than sort of being a doctor, scientist, or engineer or accountant. And now we have a lot more people to look up to in terms yeah. in that space and you know, really use their creativity for for good. What would you say to them about, you know, honing their talent and honing their skill going forward? Just do it. Literally every day. Just do it. Because that's what I did. Obviously, 
It's not like my parents were like, yes, go on, make noise on the internet. No, nobody said that. <laughs> like, but that's, I always wanted to write. I always wanted to do media stuff. So I just did it. And every single day I would try and do something. I would either reach out to somebody who I knew was in the space or I would write and read about writing like every day. Just, just do it. Literally just yeah, do it. Definitely. And who is your um, sort of favorite female African author or writer favorite female african writer if i say chimamanda is that too obvious <laughs> i mean chimamanda is standard for everybody for anybody is there anybody else anybody there's else? one oh she wrote this book once oh i think it was called everything must go everything will be okay i can't remember but i remember i wrote her name down it's in my room back in the- yes yes yeah. oh yeah She's oh. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. She's actually really cool. Yeah, I have a film book. She's really awesome. She's so today we're talking about censorship of female sexuality in African culture. Um, obviously, for both of us, our film of reference is Nigerian culture. But I think mm. a lot of things that happen in Nigerian culture, in the Nigerian religious space, and in the Nigerian cultural context as well, sort of permeates into a lot of African context yeah. as well. So let's just start. Like, what do you think is the current state of female sexuality? And why do you think that, number one, our bodies are censored and our choices about our sexual preferences and our sexual activities are censored the, the way they currently are? I think they're censored because men are terrified of it. I think men like the whole control. For years, men were able to go out, do whatever they want, come back. Nobody would give them stress. Instead, they would give them food and babies if they want. So now, when it's reached the stage where women have other options, it freaks them out. So they are trying to control everything. And a big part of that is controlling women's sexuality. So now they kind of, you know, the narrative has always been if you are a bit loose or you do not loose, there's no such thing as being loose. If you do what you want sexually. If you express yourself sexually, if you like sex, is bad. That's always been the narrative. And I feel like men are really trying to push down on that censorship now. Because now women, especially in Africa, are like, mm, are we sure? But we haven't reached the stage yet of the West where we're like, is a lie, we'll do it. We're still at that. Mm, can we? Can we really? And so it's it's weird. I feel like we're, we're slowly moving into a space where women are feeling more able to express themselves, able to do whatever they like. But I don't know if we're there yet. And I know men hate it. African men hate it. In all their hearts, they're so angry, bitter. Sorry to them. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting that you talked about men. But I also feel as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if your experience of this is different, I think women are probably worse at censoring the sexuality of other women in terms of sort of women of the older generation, of the matriarchal aunties and grandmothers. Because, you know, a lot of the offenses that are committed to the bodies of women are also committed by women in terms of um, things like female genital mutilation that happens a lot in northern parts of Africa. A lot of those procedures are done by women. Mm. Um, And so there's this sort of thing of imposing, I don't know if it is, the thing of, well, I couldn't do it, so you can't do it. You can't do it either. Do you think that I that think, comes I think in? it's a little bit that. If you've been doing something the same way for the past 50 years, 60 years, and somebody comes and says, I want to do it this way, 
it's, it's highly unlikely I'm going to be like, that's fine. Obviously, you're still going to be a bit like, mm, no. So to them, they don't really know any better. And I know some older women as well. It's sort of like a protection thing for them. They're like, look, I didn't do this thing. So I don't know about you doing it because I don't know how it will work. This is what me I did. This is how it works out. So I don't even, because I feel like sometimes you give older women a bit of the villain edit and we're like, he just wants us to be. No, sometimes I feel like it's actually genuinely coming from a place of, look, we don't know this uh, free sex having lifestyle. So yeah. we, can't prove it. we can't prove it, obviously, because. Yeah, and that's true. And I like that point in terms of it being their own way of trying to protect the younger generation. Yeah. from Perhaps also the myths about sexuality that they might have been taught. Yeah. Don't then apply in our generation in terms of, or if a man touches you, and I think that was like one of the big ones, like when you were really, really young, like if a boy touches you, you're going to get pregnant. Of course. And you're not going to be able to go to school. And, of course. And that's going to be the end of your life. But obviously we know that that isn't the situation. And we know yeah. that, that isn't the case. But that then brings us into the issue of women's safety as well in, in the African state in terms of Number one, let's say, let's talk about just her expressing her sexuality first. And then we can talk about also the lack of the appropriate healthcare facilities available mm-hmm. to her. She does want to express her, her own sexual preferences or her own sexual choices. So mm-hmm. the safety of a woman's body in Africa, in Nigeria. Yeah, does that exist? It's God. <laughs> like, does that actually exist? I'm not going to lie. Even me, I feel like I have two little sisters and there's times when my 17-year-old sister wear an outfit and I won't even know when I've said, your skirt is too short. Mm. And, but I'm never seeing it from me. Your skirt is too short. You look like a slut. It's more for me. Your skirt is too short. Do I know who is want to, going to want to try and just put their hand there? Because African men to them... It's, a, it's still, again, with the old school sort of narrative, but if you dress a certain way, then that means you're down for certain things. And even though that's not the case anymore, I just, even me, sometimes I want to wear something and I'll be like, well, probably shouldn't just because I don't know, I don't know how that's going to get any better, to be honest, because, I mean, we're learning, we're educating ourselves, we're figuring it out, but still. And it's really interesting that it's you still really scary. Example. It is, it really is, because we are trying not to say blame a woman for her assault, but we also yeah. need to come to a point where we also say a woman has to learn to protect herself as well from the predators yeah. that are out there. And then it then becomes, yeah. where do we then draw the line between saying we're protecting her from a predator, but then we're also censoring her choices and censoring her body. Do you think there's any way that we can do that evenly or is it just by talking about it and being open about having these kind of conversations to say we're not trying to censor your body but you have to be aware that there's people out there who, yeah. whose only intention is to do you harm yeah i think that's the thing we it, it's a it, it's talking about it it's conversations and i think also we like to live in this like idealistic world where it's mm-hmm. like oh no it's 2020 so i can wear what i like you can't you can mm-hmm. someday what now you cannot if your skirt is looking like pants that is not good. I'm going to say it's not the best. You are going to be at risk. So now what I kind of tell people is, look, if you want to dress super slutty, carry pepper spray. Like do what you want or be ready to rock when people come for you based on your choice. Like, like be safe in your own way, but still express yourself. But if you know you don't have pepper spray, if you know you can't fight, if you know you don't have the energy to put your keys here, 
just wear coats. When you enter where you're going, you can be naked. You know, like it's 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 finding the balance. Like we can be free, but we are not free yet. So yeah. let's be guided. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, saying that as well, I'm sure that when people listen to this, there might be a bit of flack in terms of saying, well, yeah, but then that is also censoring a woman. And I think it's just really important that people understand the context we're coming from in terms of the fact that Mm -hmm. if you are assaulted in in Nigeria or in certain certain parts of Nigeria, even just the the safety and the comfort of you saying, you know, you want to report your assaults. Um, or you're going to go That's to the police who, who yeah. will listen to you or who will. And I mean, there are places like the Mirabel Center who do really good work mm-hmm. in terms of rape management. But I think a lot of times we are in a, an environment where we have to be our own judge. We have to be our own judge. We have to be our own water provider, yeah. our own electricity provider. So we have to also be your own police. We have, to, we have to police ourselves as well. And we have mm-hmm. to think about our own safety first in the in the context of the environment that we that we live in and you know it's really interesting that it's not just like nigeria that that happened i think someone on one of the feminist um blogs on instagram shared a question one of those stickers in her stories and she said what would you do if um you were in a world with no men i think 70 something just wanted to walk at night oh you saw that as well I saw it. I was so sad because it, even me, that's the first thing I thought. Because literally the day before, me and my friend, I wanted to go for because we walk every day because COVID. So we wanted to go for a walk, but it was it was dark out. And we're like, oh, I probably shouldn't. And I was kind of angry. I was like, why not? And I know this is a safe neighborhood. This is chances that nothing would have happened, but just be thoughts. And so when I saw that, literally, it was like the next day or two days later, I was like, can you see? We just want to walk. Yeah. Just to walk. We walk at night. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it bummed me out, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that does apply to women all over the world, regardless of their sexuality. Oh. We constantly yep. live in this fear that someone is going to hypersexualize us, regardless of what we're wearing. And at, and at specific times of night, nobody might be able to see that you're being assaulted. No one might be able to hear you because the areas are less populated. And so we just stay at home and, yep. censor, and censor ourselves as well. Um, and, you know, and that applies to women wearing bomb shorts and it applies to women wearing burqas as well. You know, the, the, the assault yep. continues to happen. And so when we then talk about our safety yep. in our society, which doesn't really exist, what about our safety in healthcare and our access to healthcare? Do you think we're censored that way as well? Do we have <laughs> Do we have that? Especially in Nigeria. We I don't feel like we're censored, if anything, with that. It's it's more, it doesn't even it's not even an option mm. for so many people. Um, you hear girls who are, you know, they want to explore their sexuality, but okay, where am I supposed to get birth control pills where am i even supposed to find out about birth control where am i if i walk into a store and i want to buy a condom just ordinary condom it's a bit of a thing it's a whole you get sales clerks giving you a look i feel like so i, I don't feel like we're censored there instead i feel like for that one it's just a lack of options but it's again it's improving i won't say that it's absolutely nothing no it is improving but it's not as widespread as say england where there's sexual health clinic everywhere you speak yeah. like but but getting there but i feel like that i don't know if it's intentional though would you say that they're not even trying because they're trying to like sort of censor it? you know on one of the first episodes that we did i was i was back in nigeria it was 
November last year when we, I started the podcast and we did one episode and it was a panel discussion about sex in Nigeria. And um, they were talking about abstinence and talking about how sometimes when you go to those family planning clinics in the hospitals, the matrons will say to you that, oh no, if you take contraception, it's going to affect your ability to have children when you finally do get married. So you probably should just abstain until, yeah, yeah. until you're going to get married. And so a lot of young girls don't necessarily go to the places that have the capacity to teach people properly. So they run away from family planning clinics yeah because they feel oh no it's for family yeah. for women who have families and women who have children and so for women who do are in mm. that in that sort of protected environment where they have a husband with a marriage certificate they're able to get access to long-term contraception very easily so they can get oil yeah. they can get an implant you know they can get those things really easily but for a young girl who maybe she's a teenager mm. she then goes in and she's like oh i want a coil She's not, she's, but it's unlikely that she's, she's not going to get one. She's not going to get one in get one of the free access family planning clinics because there's the stigma of what well, a married person shouldn't be having sex. What do you say to that? Yeah. Because when we concluded that episode, we finally agreed that abstinence in itself was a myth. Do you agree with that? What is a myth? Abstain what? <laughs> it's a myth! <laughs> Okay. I feel like I mean let me not say it's a myth. It's doable, it's a thing, but as a solution, mm-hmm. like if somebody comes somewhere for sexual health guidance, yes, already abstinence is off. That's not to because if you are thinking of it, you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I I do feel in that context, yes, it's a bit of a myth. But oh, I didn't even know this. I've actually never thought about this teenagers. Like a randy teenage girl in Nigeria, what her options yeah. might be. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's it. There's there's no I was twenty-two once when I went to my own doctor for reasons that have nothing to do with sexual health. And I just mentioned she was asked, you know, what you're on, blah blah blah. And I said I had um, I was on the pill, and I'd been on the pill for however many years. And she was like, Oh, you know, that's so terrible though, because you should probably get off it. Because what about when you want to have kids? Hello, girl, I'm twenty-two. Who is having kids anytime soon? Like, who's having kids? Yeah. But that's still just a go-to. It's like, don't do this. Just, yeah. And I don't understand why though. that's the thing we tell people who have clearly come because they, are, they want to do it or they're already doing it. So what? why no backsies? Like, why now say this? Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well in terms of that mentality as though what you're saying to someone at that point is going to deter them from doing it. Because by the time they've come there, they've already either made a decision that they're going to do it. Exactly. They're already doing it and they want to be as safe as they possibly can. Exactly. Very few virgins go and say, can I get the pill? Like, no. (laughs) Well, I mean, I did, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think think that's the really important thing, isn't it? It's that if somebody has come to that point and they've said, okay, I want to engage in safe sexual practices. What are my options? And what options are available for me? Whether you are above the age of 18 or you're 16 or you're 25 and you're single or you're 35 and you're single. This thing of you don't have a man's stamp on you to say that you're his wife, his property, under his protection. So you don't have a right to have access, have access to that. What advice would you then give, let's say, 
a 19 year old university student in Lagos mm. who wanted to explore her sexuality, who felt safe with her partner and wanted to engage in sexual activity. What would you, what would you say to her about being safe as a sexually active woman in Nigeria? I mean, I would say for one, they're very lucky that they live in this time and this generation because there's people like you. There's people, there's things like this podcast. There's so many resources. It's just research. If it was back in the 1920s, sorry to use, I guess, I don't know. But now there's so, just research. Google is your best friend. Just find out everything. Find out the different, because there are some places you can't go in Nigeria. They are rare. Mm-hmm. But they just find out where you can get the pill, find out even Google dodgy pharmacy where at the back where you know, <laughs> you know, you can order your pill there. There's so many, it's just as much information as you can get. Because even in most sexual health clinics, there's only it's just information they're giving you. Nobody says, Okay, look at you, young girl, I'm gonna put you on this pill for this. No, they just give you a bunch of pamphlets, give you a bunch of information and say, Okay, you go away, you figure yourself out. Yeah. So that's it, you just have to do as much as much research as you can and you that may are doing the lord's work honestly because there's things like this <laughs> that exist that people can listen to people can figure if i was 19 this is ex- exactly what i would be doing i'd be like okay let me listen let me say okay so mirabel center okay here like you have to do it yourself yeah. even in places where there is sexual health um provisions and stuff and clip you still have to do the research you still have to figure it out you can't just let somebody put something in you or give you something to put in your body it's just research you know and what would you say to parents about their young daughters late teenage daughters engaging in sexual activity and them maybe them also hearing about the fact that what how how is my 21 year old still no she was going to stay a virgin until she got married even if she got married at the age of 40 how what would you say to parents who get that shock of their life at that point what would you say to them i always just ask like all my aunties even my own parents were you a virgin <laughs> when you were 21 that's my own like that's the first thing i asked them did you do it no then moving on mm. it's just to listen there's nothing you can do but listen my mom i'm really lucky in the sense that my mom was really supportive like i'm not it's not like i've lost my virginity and called her and said mommy i did it but like when I when we did have the conversation, she was like, "Oh, that's so gross." But you know, how was it? Were you safe? Like, she she didn't come for me. She just was kind of, if anything, she was more grossed out. She was like, "Oh my god, like you, it's my child." But fair enough. But she just listened. That's all you can do. And I feel like most parents, to me, if you are lucky enough that your child feels comfortable enough to come and tell you what they are doing, is that not a blessing? Is that not what you should focus on? That oh, my child wants to talk to me because most people. Uh, having full abortion and they didn't tell their mother <laughs> like yeah, yeah. So it's to think of the positives just at least we can communicate like that thank god yeah. now i get but sometimes i do feel bad for parents because what do you do if your child comes and tells you mommy i'm 18 i've slept with 35 men i understand if you want to be angry then if you want to have heart attack <laughs> but then even then don't vex talk it through yeah, yeah you know? definitely definitely and i think that's a really important thing it's about putting yourself in a position where you want to listen. Mm. And it's not just about hear me, hear me. I actually want to understand your point of view and let's see how best I can help you or let's see how best I can support you through this journey you're making. But for you specifically, because I really like what you just said about talking to your mom about it and talking to your mom and her listening to you 
you know, maybe being a bit grossed out, but listening to you and giving you that ear. How have you found talking about sexuality publicly in the Nigerian space or as a young, unmarried Nigerian woman? And how did you come to that point where you felt comfortable just talking about these things openly and also your personal experience? Did you get any negative backlash or was, were there any family members saying, oh no, Tamara, don't talk about those kind of things on TV. Like, ah, no, how will we marry you? Like, <laughs> Anything like that? To be fair, so the first time I started just talking about these things, I did not really think of, I didn't think about it. I was just like, oh, I'm doing a thing. Everyone around me is doing this thing. So clearly, this Mm -hmm. isn't that weird. But I didn't actually think about like how my family or anybody would react. And then one day my mom came back from church and she was like, what have you been saying on the internet? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even internet. It was everybody in life at the time. She was like, what have you been saying on TV? I was like, what do you mean? She was like, because my friend, just came up to me after mass and she was like, I love your daughter. She's just so open and candid about sex. And my mom said about what? Because <laughs> she didn't even know. <laughs> but um, my mom, again, luckily was, I think because the first person who had come uh, talked to her about it was so positive about it. I was like, oh my God, I watch her all the time. So to my mom, it was just, okay, she's talking about sex, but clearly people like it. So it's all right. Yeah. So she didn't mind. I don't think anyone else in my family, no one else in my family really minds. My dad, when he found out, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I straight up lied to him. I said, no, I was joking. <laughs> I did lie to him because, but that, well, that was just me being a bit of a coward because not even a coward. He wasn't angry. He was stressed. You mm-hmm. could see it in his eyes. He was like, oh my God, she's not a virgin. And I just, I didn't want him to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But everyone else in my family, they're pretty all right with it because it's happening now. People are, people are doing it. They're doing things. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm going around saying anything particularly wrong or bad. Like people are having sex, why not? Mm-hmm. What the backlash I have had is from my friends. One by, I'm not even going to call her a friend, but this very Christian friend of mine who literally called me. I was like, oh my God, like, how are you going to get a job? How are you going to this? I said, wow, they're only hiring virgins. I didn't know because <laughs> like she was... And so I've had some people be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't talk about, you know, stuff like that on the internet. And my response is, oh, maybe shut the fuck up. Like, what's your business? Because I feel like, again, the more conversations people have about these things, the better it is. Like, I get more messages and responses from people who are like, that happened to me. Or, oh, how did you deal with that? Or, I want to try this. And even when we talk about things like sexual health, when I talked about a time when I went through a sexual health care, all the responses were, where did you go? I want to go. I want to know. I want to register at this place. It only helps. So it was always easy for me because I was like, look, I don't, I don't mind talking about what I'm talking about. But when I started getting those responses and I was like, oh, I'm going to continue because people need it. <laughs> people need and it. I really love what you said about then becoming a resource for other people. Because people who don't have the information that they need will reach out to you and talk to you about it. And, you know, a few years ago, a friend called me in a panic and she was like, oh, someone she knows, she thinks someone has been assaulted because, you know, she woke up and her underwear was, you know, torn and she'd been out the night before in in Lagos. She had one or two drinks, but nothing more than she normally would have. She was a tipsy when she last saw her friends and then she suddenly woke Mm. up and she you know she was in that way and she was so afraid and obviously going to the police was not 
was not, you know, an option at the time. And she was just so, just so afraid that, you know, she'll go to the police. What are they going to do? Are they going to demean her? Are they going to mock her? And obviously we know what the, the situation is like with police. And so just letting her know about Mirabel Center, she really didn't want to go. And when she finally went, she called me back. I was like, actually, you know what, Dami, I'm really glad I went there because they were really supportive. They gave me the right kind of psychological help that I needed. They did a full rape exam on me, gave me, you know, contraception and all those kind of things, told me when to come for my next HIV test and those kind of things. And I think it's really important that we start talking to ourselves about these things because when you, something happens yep. to you and you live in fear or isolation, then that's when your any complications that you might have as a result of anything that's happened to you is more likely to fester and, yep. and, get, out of, and get out of control. And if you were to give a young girl a toolkit to safe sex in Lagos, what, what would you put in it? Condoms, lots of condoms. Nigeria men hate condoms and they like to scam you by saying, Oh, I don't have, bring out five different sizes, options. Never let them scam you. Okay. <laughs> Never right. let no them love, scam no you. No love, basically. No love, no love, honestly. Um, I also, it's really this story you've just told me has me a little shaken because I also know how easy it is to get the date rape drug in Nigeria. It is 500 naira for a pack of 10. What? 500 naira for a pack of 10. That's less than that I used to sell it. And that's even, he didn't even realize it was date rape drug. He was just like, oh, is this not just, I was like, no, honey. So people are selling, they don't even know what they are selling. It's so easy to get. So, but apparently, um, you can, so it's a little pill thing. It just looks like, um, what's it called? Paracetamol. So I always tell girls, please, if you see him in his pocket, you see a pack of 10 and his blue paracetamol pills, run away. <laughs> run away. That Lagos. Because, yeah, so there's that. Look for the pills. No glove, no love. I always recommend like a third, like a second um, backup sort of contraceptive pill. Mm implants coil whatever it is just because you never know yeah also say no glove no love but sometimes the glove can miss yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that is yeah that is really that is really important and that is really scary what you just said about date rape drugs because obviously like growing up you'd always hear moms say oh don't allow any don't ever drink a drink that you've left behind and things like that and as i get older i understand what they meant definitely because then it kind of sounded a bit weird like oh if i'm having a, if i've bought a drink i've paid for a drink and i've left it and i come back to it and it's still there why wouldn't i drink it but obviously that is not something that we should be doing and it is yep. really that we talk to each other about these kind of things because if it's that cheap is 500 naira. i was terrified the day i found out also, there's a particular one in Lagos that kind of makes your tongue go a bit blue. So now I go around and like with my friends and randomly in the club, like, show me your tongue. <laughs> like, just to make sure. Because it's so... Mm. That, is, that is really scary. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure that as people listen to this and watch this as well, it, it will be quite triggering for people. And it's just really important yeah. for people to know where they can go to, to get resources, to support them. To, to get psychotherapy as well, just because that yeah. is very that is significant trauma, and that you know and that kind mm -hmm. of trauma definitely then also can affect your future sexual experiences and your future sexual encounters. Of course, of course, <clears throat> significantly, and as well as your mental health. 
as well um you know after after undergoing you know having gone through that kind of that kind of life experience and in terms of let's say access to contraception or even talking about sex among our friends or among ourselves we don't do that a lot why do you think that we don't do that so me being me, I do it a lot. And everyone around me kind of does it a lot. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't know why people because I've met some people who are very sort of cagey about it. And I, I usually find it's people who either didn't really grow up around people who are very open or they've had their own sort of like negative sexual experiences so they're like okay i don't really i don't like this thing i don't want to talk about it. or people who just don't like sex in general which is a thing it exists yeah. it's fine but i don't know i feel like you should have at least two or three people who you can like talk to about like your sexual things because it can only help because what if there's a thing that's happening and to you it's normal and you you'll just think it's normal and then you won't know unless you're having conversations with other people. You'd have to figure it out, figure out, talk to, talk to people. It can only help. Or at least if you don't want to talk, come and listen to Dami. Like, you know, come and listen. I just, because yeah. I feel like if you're just going through a sexual growth, your sexual growth or just figuring out sexuality in general by yourself, with yourself, I don't know. Everybody needs, you have to talk it through, figure things out. Even with your partner, if you don't want to talk to your friends, there has to be at least one person. I feel like that's key. And I don't, I cannot begin to understand people who are like not able to talk about sex. Please, at least one person, at least the person you are making the sex on, you should be able to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and what you just said is really, is great because having, you having that community of friends where you guys can talk about sex really is really important. I was just having a conversation with someone a few days ago because um, one of the next episodes, we're having a Nigerian sex coach come to talk to us about women understanding their own pleasure. And um, I was talking to somebody about, you know, the fact that we're doing this episode and she, you know, she said, oh, I didn't realize that, that such things existed in, in Nigeria and that, and she's a married woman. And she said, you know, that even when she talks to her married friends about it, even like in a church setting who are all married, they always look at her as though she's a heathen or a child of Satan. And, and I was like, but why? Like, why? You've done the right thing. You've gone, you've gotten married, you've had your child. You're, you've, you've ticked all the boxes. Now you should be able to say, okay, this isn't working. I'm not enjoying this in this way. Why can't I talk about it? Do you think that it is more our culture that stifles us in talking or do you think it's more our religions that stifle us in talking definitely religions okay definitely religions because i've noticed all these older aunties we have they they do not mind talking about sex like that too once you're married mm. they don't mind. but like my super religious aunties who aren't even that old no 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 they can't it's religion but i don't understand why even in religion, sex is dirty. I mean, even like Christianity, as long as you are married, there seems to be no problem. So I don't, I think that's just us taking religion to another level nobody mm-hmm. asked for. Because I'm sorry, even Jesus was hanging out with prostitutes. He must have had some shop talk at least once. He didn't die. So, mm-hmm. Auntie, you can discuss 
the sex stuff without being a sinner. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say it's definitely religion, not culture. Do you think colonization has had anything to do with that? Because it then seems slightly reversed in terms of if we've been colonized to be silent about it. But then mm. now look at the West where it's everywhere and you know, women are, you know, carrying their vibrators everywhere and showing mm. it and sharing it on social media. Where do you think we fall in terms of in that in that pathway on the spectrum? That's the word yeah, on the spectrum. I think what the colonizers brought, if anything, I think it's the religion that they brought that kind of set us a bit back. And just you know how there's just a certain level of decorum that comes with like English people and I'm sure they brought too so maybe that's what we're trying to emulate but then they left that one behind in the 60s they now but they now left us too so we didn't adapt (laughs) to get to that space of okay actually we can be a bit more open and can be a bit more free but I know even in the west a bit I'm sure no, I was about to say even them, the women have some, you know, they can't talk about it as freely, but yeah, they can. Because I can't imagine us in Nigeria, like, I think I mentioned once that I have a vibrator and it was cut. <laughs> it was cut out of whatever show. It wasn't yellow one, they did not. But what out of whatever show I was doing, they cut it. And it was so it was, I didn't even say the setting, the size. I didn't tell them it's called Black Mamba. I just said, I have a vibrator. And they were like, how can you yeah. say that as a single woman? I was like, well, hopefully when I'm married, I will still have it because we like it. Like, so I don't, I don't even know where we fall exactly because that whole, it had been a conversation about sex. And I had said much rowdier things than mm. that. But then... That's the, they just pick and choose what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Even with married women, a married woman can say something gross that she's done sexually and it's fine. Not to her husband, that she's done sexually in the past and it's fine. But you can find two people who are married, but they've been in a relationship for a while and they mention warm vanilla stuff. It's an abomination. I don't even, it's, I can't say I understand Nigerians, Nigerian women and their relationship with sex sometimes. I'm still trying to figure it out because everyone I know, every Nigerian woman I know and that I meet, I try and encourage their relationship to be, do it, have it, enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. So people who are still, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure it out as well with them. Like what is holding you back? Like what is, what is your fear? What is the issue? Why don't you why are we so restricted when it comes to that? Everybody's doing that's how we got here. Like, why why is it so taboo? And what about I don't know. Women censoring her body, because I think that is also part of it as well, in terms of a woman understanding her body, understanding first understanding first of all, not just her, not just her pleasure or her sexuality, but just her body and yeah. her cycle or what her vagina looks like or um, what her discharge patterns are like. Mm. What do you say to women about actually paying, just paying attention to your own body and understanding your own body and the needs of your own body as a, as a fully grown woman? It's so key for different reasons. One, health reasons. A lot goes on down there everywhere. So you have to know what it's like when it's okay. So when it's not okay, you know, okay, there's an issue. Then I don't know if it's that we're afraid of the game. I don't know what it is, but you one cannot be afraid. Like in general, we pay attention to everything else. You scrub your toes, you you've looked at your elbow, you've looked at everywhere else. But I know women who 
Nigerian women who say they've never even, you know, taken a mirror and taken a look at what goes down there. They don't pay any attention. They just, I know women who like, when they take off their underwear, they just quickly throw it in the wash because they don't even want to see. And I'm like, no, you, you have to. Because it's also, it's for health reasons. You have to know what goes on with you so you know what you like, first of all, pleasure-wise. But then also, you know, when something is wrong, when something is up, it is key. The same way you've probably looked at the back of your throat to make sure, you know, it's not so, to see what it looks like. So when it's red and swollen, you can tell look look there look you have to pay attention and even if it's it shouldn't freak you out i don't understand why people are scared yeah yeah look like yeah there's definitely that thing and i think it's definitely i think it's definitely a taboo mm. to, to do that and you know what you said about not looking at your underwear even looking at your discharge to know what it looks like yeah. is is an issue and you know because <clears throat> when people come in and they say oh my discharge is smelling this way or it's this way the next question is, how is it different from your normal discharge? Mm-hmm. If you don't know what your normal discharge is like. It's then slightly more difficult to then specify whether or not this smell is as a result of changing your diet yep. or is it as a result of an infection. And there are lots of yep. things that affect a woman's pH that then affects yep. our discharge as well. And so understanding your body is so, so important. But it's something you don't talk about. It's something we don't encourage women to do. And we just see that, oh no, that's a dirty, dirty part of me. Um, just, you know, toss it away and throw it and throw it, throw it aside as well. And just as we're coming to round up, what would you say about the way forward in terms of the censorship of women's bodies and our sexuality as black women? I would say as black women, the thing is, starts at home with yourself. Turn out the noise. Forget about what people are saying outside. If you want to try something sexually, try it. If you're thinking about something, Google it. Talk to your partner, talk to whoever. But just, I feel like a lot of people are worried about like the bigger picture. So they're like, oh, I'm not even going to bother trying because the world is never going to accept. Please, dear, the world doesn't really even care about you like that. You just, in your house with yourself, just start figuring yourself out. Start trying to think about what you would like to do, what you would not like to, like, no, start at home. Just drown out the noise, drown out the censorship. Nobody can censor you in your house, in your bed. So drown it all out. Start there first. And then after a while, you just, you get bolder as you go along. Or maybe you don't, but at least in your bed, just be happy within yourself. That's my thing. I don't understand why people are paying so much attention to what's outside. No, just figure out what you want to do. Do it. And what about to our generation who are going to now be raising the next generation of girls? What would you say to us about censoring the bodies of our daughters that are coming up? I don't, I, I don't even know how to say this nicely. I was about to shout at them, but let me be calm. I just, <laughs> we all know what we went through. So let's try and make sure the next generation does not go through that. It's just communicating making sure them too, they're not listening to the outside noise. Just what did the, what do the kids want to do? What do our daughters want to do? What makes them happy? What makes them feel nice? What makes them feel good? That's the focus. However, the world wants to see it is their business. And I think we need to make sure we tell our kids it is their business. What do you want? What makes you happy? Talk to me about it. Talk, just communication and drowning out the noise. That's the key for us and for uh, the next generation. And what about being safe in a sexual situation? 
because a lot of women as well when they're in a sexual situation especially maybe with a man and consent becomes a bit blurry or is it a yes is it a no do I really want to be here do I not really want to be here I'm enjoying it but I don't I'm not sure if I want to go the whole way what would you say to a woman in that situation because it is possible that yeah I'm enjoying this company and I'm enjoying what we're doing but I don't want to go I don't want to go the whole nine yards I'm not I'm not ready for that what would you say to a young lady in that situation this is a very tricky one I literally had that kind of experience myself for the first time last year but I think again communication is key make sure you've told the person look I don't know how i'm feeling because it it happens also sometimes you're there you're in the bed your head is saying one thing your kitty cat is saying another thing and like oh my god i don't know but communication is key also let no man no wherever pressure you into doing what you don't want to do i don't even believe it's not their option it's not their choice it is your choice Mm -hmm. so until you know for sure for sure what you want to do just I shall let the guy know, I don't know what I want to do, but I'm figuring it out. Till then, don't touch me. Just let me figure it out. But I feel like in that situation, communication is key. That's the thing. It's just to make sure you've let the guy know from jump. And then, because that way you also know, because if he's pushing you and pressuring you and telling you, no, let's do it. Then you know you're with a creep who is not into consent. But if he does the right thing and it's like, okay, it's up to you. Let me figure it out. It will, it even usually helps in the decision because you know, they're either being so sweet about it that you're like, oh, okay, and then you mount them, or you're like, okay, yeah, let me, let me wait, let me chill. But so it's, it's <laughs> I'll keep a straight face walking to you, like, come on. Communication is key. I never let them bully you every day talking rubbish. I mean, please, 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 can they stop all these? Oh, you know, it's fine, whatever you want. But then they do that annoying thing where they're still like poking at you. And just, nah, when a girl says she doesn't know, get off, mm. like hop off. And girls, if he doesn't hop off, he's a creep. I'm sorry. That's, there's no two, he's a creep. So you save, shine your eye. I think. And the final question before we round up. Our society is, and as we, you know, we discussed it earlier in terms of, you know, even our dressing and things like that. And we've talked a lot about a woman being aware, taking charge of her own health and her own sexuality, being informed before she makes any choices and understanding what, she, what she's doing and why she's doing it. But because we're not yet where we want to be as a society, um, there's a lot of this thing of oh no you're a feminist it's this backlash it's this excessive thing and society is not yet where you want to be and it's never going to be at that point what do you say to people who are then trying to balance that out where they want to live within the rules that are currently being imposed on them by society but also want to fully explore who they are as a woman in a safe way without then suffering the repercussions that might come as a result of what society has said. And like you said, someone might have said to you, oh, you're not going to get a job talking about these things publicly. And that might happen to some people in certain workspaces if they mm-hmm. see something on social media and says, oh no, I don't, wanna, I don't, want, I don't want her to, to work for us because she said this on social media and people being afraid of those kind of repercussions. What would you say to them about trying to live in, within that tiny space? I think it's, it's possible to fight the good feminist fight, but be careful about it. Mm. So, cause I mean, 
in most situations, to be fair, if you want to say what you want to say and you want to do what you want to do, I've never found that it, there's really that much backlash. Anything that, any negative repercussions that come from you just saying what you want or expressing yourself the way you want, the thing just wasn't for you, to be fair, you know? If people are actually at risk of not getting a job because I said on the internet I have sex. You are not, it was not your destiny to work for that person. It's a good, it's good and it's a blessing. But at the same time, I'm not saying, because sometimes I see girls like on the internet and they want to be like, yeah, death to men, death to the patriarch, death to critical. I'm like, no, death to nobody. Let's be guided. Feminism is essentially the fight for what? Equality, that's all. If that's all you're fighting for, that's all you're saying, there should be no reason why you can't do that and still live your life. There should be no censorship with that at all. Say what you want to say, believe what you want to believe, tweet what you like, do what you like, protest what you like, match where you like, match where you like, do it all. And any negativity that comes from that, whatever, like that's fine. It sh- but hopefully none will come. You can't be scared. You can't not do it because, oh, it might backlash. I might receive backlash in some kind of way. Nah, do it first. If there's backlash, oh, well, handle it. But chances are there will not be. That's the thing. I think we're all like a little too scared most of the time. Nothing ever happens. I mean, I'm here talking about sex for years. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, I'm fine. <laughs> Nobody really cares. It's actually okay. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Thank you so, so much, Tamara, for coming on today's episode. I've had a blast. And as, as you can see, I've just been laughing all through and people are going to be like, what is that cheesy so much? Um, where can our <laughs> viewers find you online? You can find me at TI here on Instagram. I wish I had a Twitter. I did not. And you can find me on Accelerate TV, The Yellow Wall on YouTube. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tamara, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. I'm actually sad why I did <laughs> Thank you for joining us on today's episode. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as we have. Make sure you leave us a rating or two on iTunes and share the episode with a friend or two who have not heard about us before. And please send us all your questions, suggestions and thoughts at hello at tabudoctor.com. We definitely want to hear from you. Subscribe to our newsletter as well and follow us on social media. Until next time, stay safe and keep slicing health fact away from health fiction.